before we get into prayer, I want to read a verse that should sound very familiar to you uh, because I heard that this is the theme verse for the youth ministry here this year. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, watch this, beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, and today we are going to dig into Daniel chapter 3. And we are going to see teenagers who are living this very verse, uh, that they are God's workmanship. And they are working, walking in the works that God prepared for them beforehand. Uh, but what our youth are going to learn today, what our adults are going to learn today, what we all are going to learn together is sometimes those works put us in a hot spot. Sometimes those works confine us in the places where we can either follow through with our commitment or we can begin to renegotiate our faithfulness. And if we are going to be those who stand in the fire for God, then we need to take uh, the lesson, the example of the three Hebrew boys that we'll be looking at today. So won't you turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3 for, for me. We'll be walking through verses 8 through 30. And I know when we read it this morning, y'all were thinking that is long. How in the world are we going to get through all of that? I hope we're not going to be here all day today, all day today. Um, and I am going to pray for us. And the word was read, so I'm not going to reread it, but I am going to walk us through the passage. Amen. Amen. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for the time that you have given us to come worship you this morning. God, that it is not your privilege that we stand before you. It is our privilege that we're able to stand before you. Our privilege that we're able to be in relationship, uh, that we're able to behold someone as magnificent, as holy as you, that we are counted as among your people. And even if there are some in here who are not amongst your people yet, who are not counted, that you would invite them to see what you're about. You would invite them to see how your plan is the best plan for us, even though it puts us in some difficult places. That you will invite all of us to see how teenagers can step up into the face of a king and refuse to bow down and worship and change the course of history by just sticking to the commitment that they've made to God. So we ask that you walk us through this passage, that you enlighten us, Holy Spirit, that you would that you would just continuously press on our spirit the things that we need to take home with us and that we need to apply. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Do I have any firefighters in the house today? Any firefighters? Well, if there was a firefighter here with you today, they would be able to tell you and agree with me that there's one special day in the firefighter academy that firefighter instructors look forward to and firefighter recruits also look forward to. It's called burn day. Burn day is when recruits from the fire department who are being trained up to become full-time firefighters are actually sent into a controlled burning building to see if all of the training that they've been giving, all of the curriculum that they've gone through, all the teaching, the, the drills that they have run to see if it has stuck in their brain to see if they'll freeze up or they'll actually walk through with the maneuvers, to see if they'll look out for their buddies when they're going in, to see if they are built for what firefighting is all about, to see if they have it within them to put the fire out or if the fire will take the fight outside of them. Burn day. 
Well, firefighters aren't the only ones who go through burn days. Actually, Christians go through burn days here on earth where we ourselves get a chance to train we get our a chance to study the scripture we're in prayer we are ready and waiting for opportunity and before we know it we find ourselves set in the middle of a fire that was ordained by God but brought on by the enemy that you just all of a sudden look around and you just realize that things are starting to get hot that people are coming after you that tests are starting to come and we meet three boys Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego in the midst of going through a situation like this this morning. Today and our text, our text just poses one big idea for us. And that big idea is this, that the true servants of God will be bound up in the world's fire because they won't bow down to the world's idols or ideologies. Let me say it a little simpler for you. In other words, sometimes you will face challenges, trials, and consequences because you don't think like the world or bow down to worship what the world worships. The Hebrew boys are under the control of King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar gives out an order, and we see this starting in verse 8 of the third chapter of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar gives out an order, therefore... And as good Bible readers, we know that whenever we see a therefore, we ask, what is it there for? So we hop back up to chapter three, verse four, and it says, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples of nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are fall down, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately, I want you to remember that, shall be immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up all but three there were three boys that got a report from uh, the official verse 12 there are certain whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego these men O king pay no attention to you they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up and verse 13 starts our first point that fire starts with friction. If you ever know the old way to start a fire, you realize that if you're in the woods or if you're in the wild and some of y'all like, I ain't going to be in the woods in the wild. I'm just going to take that lighter and light it. But even with a lighter, there's friction. You press the button down and it sparks something on the inside and fire begins to come out. But you start fire by actually rubbing two things against one another and they begin to aggravate each other. And as they aggravate each other, something wears off of them and they begin to light a fire. Well, in verse 13, we have our first set of friction here where the three Hebrew boys have refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's command. They said, listen, I know you use that nice music to get everybody else to bow down and worship you. I know you got the, you know, the best artist you can playing this music to bow down and worship you, but we don't bow down to you. We only bow down to one God. 
And what happens here is what I want our teens to catch right here. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar does. He never tells them that they have to stop worshiping their God. He never says you can't worship your God. He says, all I need you to do is when the music plays, I just need you to worship me too. You ain't got to stop worshiping your God. You can have your God. You can have your religion. You can have all that. But when this music plays, it's me time. I need you to change all your focus and all your attention. And I need you to point it towards me. I need you to bow down towards me. And so we realize now that the friction, the friction is not actually in the request that Nebuchadnezzar is making. The, the friction is in their refusal. And he says, you can have your God and me too. Uh, isn't that familiar in the world that our kids are living in? You can have your pronouns, but just pronounce my pronouns too. You can be male, but if I choose to be this, I want to be this. It's telling married couples, you can have your marriage, but just don't look down on divorce. It's telling all of us, you can think you're going to heaven, but just don't talk about hell. You can have yours, but I want you to include mine too. That we can make some kind of compromise. And we don't realize this, especially for our youth. And the reason why this is such a needed version for our youth, because our youth are fighting culture wars that our parents decided not to fight. That there were times when we were inclusive and we wanted to accept everything and we wanted to turn our head to this. And now the enemy is bringing it straight on for our children. And our children have to be the one to stand and say, I don't bow down to that. I know you say I can have both, but really my God tells me I only can have one. And look at whatever the, the friction starts, but this friction, if you look at the writer in Psalm 66, verse 10 through 12, it says that this kind of friction has been around all along. Psalm 66, it says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Uh, scripture says that if you want to be the workmanship that God is creating you to be, he's going to put you through some fire to refine you. He's going to put you through some situations to see if you're going to stand on it. You say you believe all this. Satan say, I see you going to church. But if I can get you to pick both and it don't matter if you go to church, if you can pick my thing and your thing, it doesn't matter if you what really proves that you are a disciple of God What really proves that you're living up to your commitment. What really proves is when I throw something in front of you and I'm threatening to hurt you and you still refuse. Well, I tell you, if you don't talk a certain way around this office, you get fired. And I tell you, if you don't do this or you don't do that, you get canceled, you get outcast. When you still choose God at that moment, then we have something going on. Look at what Nebuchadnezzar does in verse 13. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage. Nebuchadnezzar been mad, y'all. Commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before King Nebuchadnezzar and answered and said to them, is it true? Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up. You know, sometimes the evil ones will take tactics that God has given us and use it. So Nebuchadnezzar comes before them and says to them, um, you grew up with a black mama. You've heard this term before. I'm going to give you one more time. One more time to answer this question. Is it true? 
she was acting up in that class today, right? Like that's, the, that's, that's a tool that God gave the black mamas. But Nebuchadnezzar brings them in front of them. Now watch this. There's something that God is ordaining here. Because in the beginning of the text, it never says that when somebody disobeys this rule that they need to go see the king. It says that they would be immediately thrown into the fire. That because they refuse, they don't even get to come see the king that all you have to do is get rid of them. But God so ordained somehow that God brings these three boys in front of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I'm going to give you one more time. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Mm -hmm. So I just want to know, did you say it? Did you do it? Because you know sometimes some people have the audacity to say stuff behind your back that they won't do to your face. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I want to see how they act when they're standing in front of me. I want to see how they act when I call them to my office. They can say all of that out there. They can stand up in their class. But when the principal comes in and says, come to my office, if you think like that, I'm going to expel you from this school. I want to see what they're going to do then. And then he gives them one more chance. Now, if you are ready. When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fire furnace. And here's the magical question. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? See, this is why we have to understand that fires are a part of us growing and a part of God doing his work in us. Because God will put us in front of people sometime. Youth, God will put you in front of your friends. God will put you in front of authority figures. God will put you in front of, in front of, uh, in front of adults. God will put you in front of all kinds of people. And if we aren't aware that God is using us in the midst of the fire that we're in, we'll miss the key question. Nebuchadnezzar right here only knows how to operate in his arrogance. He's a leader that's let the power go to his head. He doesn't believe that there's anybody in front of him. So when Nebuchadnezzar asks this question, there's a part of him that's being sarcastic, but a part of them that's wondering, I'm so big and bad, who is going to deliver you from my hands? Do you realize that if you don't obey me, then there's something that is terribly going to happen to you? And in his arrogance, he is asking a question that he is not ready for the answer to, but he will be humbled when the answer comes back opposite of what he thinks. Because what Nebuchadnezzar thinks is going to happen is they say, oh, nobody, king, we'll fall down and worship you now. Oh, nobody, king, but they don't do that. He says, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And then we get to our second point where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realize that fire may start from, uh, from friction, but it is sustained by accelerant. Mm. Y'all know, you put that grill on. You ain't just lighting that grill with friction. You putting that lighter fluid all on there. Right? You throw one log into your fireplace. You're not just letting that one. You're just throwing more in there. Right? And you even got that quick starter that you put in there now to make that fire really the fire that you want to see. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they so bold and courageous in how they serve God. They're not trying to put the fire out. They added some more. Listen to what they say to them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
And what they're saying to you is, Nebuchadnezzar, let me put you on to a little bit of wisdom. The reason why all of those other people are falling down worshiping you, the reason why they are falling down and praying to that idol is because deep inside their heart, they believe they need you for something. Deep inside their heart, they believe that you control their life. Deep inside their heart, they believe that if they don't do what you ask them to do, that their life is going to come in the end. Deep inside their heart. But Nebuchadnezzar, let me tell you one thing. Worship is brought out of neediness, and we don't need you because we have everything already. So it's not that we don't want to answer you. It's not that if we could, we would answer you. It's not even them saying, look, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm scared to death, but God said we can't. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to answer you. I don't need you for anything. You may be king over this. You may be king over that. You may be king over this. You know, my wife and I just recently went through uh, a situation like this. I tell everybody in the line of work that I do, I'm an organizational strategist, that my job is actually to get fired. Right? Like I go there and I tell leaders stuff that the people who work for them will not tell them. And sometimes I frustrate them. And I was recently in a situation where I was working with an organization and I had to push their hand to remove their CEO. And I came home to my wife and I said, I know they're coming for me. They're gunning for me. I'm telling you now, the contract is going to end. It's going to. And God has told me to fall on my sword for this because people are getting mistreated. And I'm sitting down with the Lord and I am worried. I'm not I'm not I'm worried. I'm how are we going to replace this? How are we going to replace that? And the Holy Spirit says to me, Darren, the only thing that you need to remember is they can't starve you. They don't provide for you. I provide for you. You don't need them for a thing. And part of the test is them believing that they can starve you. It's believing that when they fire you that they can control you, but I'm going to bring you out of this fight. You don't need them for anything. So I need you to march in there like you're on assignment, and I don't need you to march in there like they control you. You don't need them. And that's what these boys are saying to Nebuchadnezzar. They're saying to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuch we don't need you, sir. Matter of fact, the only reason why we honor you is because our God tells us to honor you. The only reason why we go along with this and, and Nebuchadnezzar, you should know this because you've been rolling with us and you've been rolling with Daniel and we've been the outstanding members in your kingdom. We've been telling you stuff that no man could ever tell you. We've been helping you figure out your dreams and everything. Don't you know by now that you are not the king of this show? We don't need you. Verse 17, they say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, so they even realize that sometimes we may, I may die here. If God chooses not to deliver, to deliver me, it's not because he can, it's because he did not decide to. Some of you as students are going to get a class in high school, in middle school, in college where you're gonna be able to express your opinions or at least they say you will and you're gonna start talking about Jesus. And your grades are not going to calculate the way that you think they should. You think you should get an A, but all of a sudden you've gotten a C. And you're gonna to have to look and pray to God and say, you know what God, I know you can deliver me out of this. But if you choose to affect my GPA with this, 
everything's still going to work out for me. If you choose to let them get away with this, everything is still going to work out for me. And the only thing that I have to stay faithful to in, in verse 18, but be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, if you really want to understand who this passage is about, all you have to do is follow the emotions of Nebuchadnezzar throughout the passage. In verse 13, it says then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage. Then in verse 19, it says then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And watch this. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar increases the, the harshness of the punishment. Remember, the punishment at first was just, look, if you disobey, you just get thrown into the fiery furnace. But now Nebuchadnezzar heats it up seven times hotter. And he says, not only will I heat it up seven times hotter, I want to make sure that you feel this and you can't go anywhere. I'm going to have everybody, I'm going to have soldiers tie you up and bound you. And then I am going to throw you into the furnace. And this points us towards the truth. When we start to actually deduce what's going on here, there's only one reason why Nebuchadnezzar will make the fire hotter is because of their mentioning of God. We don't worship you. We worship our God. And let me bet you, I bet you my God can deliver me from this. But if he doesn't, everything's still going to be all right. The only thing that is different from them not bowing down and Nebuchadnezzar heating the fire up is they decided to put him to the test. They are continuously doing what they call speaking truth to power. Nebuchadnezzar, it ain't really that big of a deal. You, you, you talk about fire, but I'm not even sweating, Nebuchadnezzar. Look, we can, we can go this way if you want to. And what God is doing on the other end is he's making sure Nebuchadnezzar puts his whole into this punishment. He's making sure Nebuchadnezzar just establishes authority in a way that he's never done it before. So when he delivers them, there's no doubt on who is king. Now, this also gives us as believers, we are able to learn from those who have done things like this, that if we are in positions of power and we are in positions of authority, that we need to make sure we check our hearts when we're establishing rules and guidance in the way that we want people to operate. Because when we think about this in real life, this happens every day, that people who are in power abuse their power. And they give out harsher punishments. One illustration that I can give you is a case that just went to the appellant court in Ohio, the state of Ohio versus Bryant. The defendant Bryant was sentenced to 22 years in prison, and he has this big outburst within the courtroom. And the judge right there says, 22 years, and if you want you to you know, yell at me and argue with me, I'm giving you six more years in prison. Now you can do 28 years. And so now this man who was sitting here, who was being judged, what they uh, presume to be fairly for his crime, has 22 years. And now he has six more years and he appeals this. And the appeal courts writes this. I want you to listen to this. The best that we can do as a society is give trial court judges the tools and support they need to help them productively funnel their emotions and vast powers over the life and liberty of individuals into just outcomes. 
The best we can do as reviewing courts, because we have a broader perspective on the wide-reaching impacts of individual trial court decisions and the better position to neutrally evaluate those decisions, watch this, is correct errors in judgment and provide guidance. But to do these things, we need to start by acknowledging what is uncomfortable to acknowledge, that trial court judges do get offended and angry, that anger clouds their judgment, and that clouded judgment often results in unjust outcomes. The record in this case demonstrates that fundamentally, this is what happened when the trial court judge added six years of incarceration to Bryant's prison sentence after Bryant had an emotional outburst upon being sentenced to 22 years in prison. You need people to check people in power. Say, judge, you can't, you can't do that. Then there was one more judge who wrote about how sentencing is for a judge. And he says, sentencing is the most multifaceted, emotional, and challenging task a judge performs. After a particularly difficult sentence, and I often say, sometimes to myself and sometimes aloud, who appointed me God? Or why did I possibly think that I was the right person for this job? And this is why God tells us, this is why as believers, we have a responsibility in 1 Timothy 2.1 that we just can't sit back and point and wave our finger at Nebuchadnezzar. But the Bible tells us, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says, listen, hold them accountable, but pray for them too. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't bow down to them, but just know that anytime somebody abuses their power, there's something wrong with their soul. There's something wrong with their demeanor. There's something that has gotten to them. Maybe they feel offended or hurt. I'm going to deliver you from that, but I still need you to pray for them. I still need you to go down under for them. I still need you to get on your knees. I still need you when you ride past the courthouse in Wilmington. Pray for those who are standing under the power of judges. Because that judge could have just spilled his coffee on his suit that morning and been upset. And that adds three sentences on this, three years on someone's life. I need you to be praying for those in power. And then the last thing we see from Nebuchadnezzar that we can learn about being in power is verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When you have power and you use it wrong, you hurt people who should not have been hurt in the first place. You start making things happen and it starts putting people in the line of fire that should not be there just because you want to satisfy letting somebody know who you are. Parents, when we discipline our children outside of the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we break things that shouldn't be broken. We harm things that shouldn't be harmed. When we feel as though we have to puff up about our power and our authority, we do not discipline and lead them in the way that God wants us to. Teenagers, when you're growing into yourself and you feel this autonomy and this independence coming, but you're not fully ready to be grown yet, and you lash out at people trying to take over your life and not have any community around you, you break relationships and things that will help you in the future. You burn bridges that don't need to be burned. We need to make sure that when we are given power and authority that we do not treat it like Nebuchadnezzar. 
And then we get to the end of the passage where fire was started by friction. Fire is by accelerant. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fire at this moment. But then Jesus jumps in the fire with them. Verse 24 says, then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. I told you, if we want to know the text, we follow the emotions. Verse 13, in furious rage. Verse 19, filled with fury and the expression on his face was changed. By the time we get to verse 24, he's astonished and rose up in haste. Now, it's only logically correct that if you are astonished by something you are humbled by it at the same time that the things that we get astonished by let us know that there are wonders out there that are bigger than us that are better than us when I look at I hate to say this because I'm a Mike fan but when I look at LeBron James carry that full frame around the court there's something that's astonishing about that and part of my astonishment is that I know that I was not born with gifts to be able to hoop like that, to hoop like that. When I hear Pastor Benson sing when the song is over and he just over there blowing, there's something astonishing about that. Because I just wish I could sing like that and I'm humbled to know that my little voice ain't going to accomplish what he's doing. Astonishment has to come with humility. And Nebuchadnezzar is sitting here and he's astonished and he declared to his counselors did not we cast three men bound into the fire because astonishment also brings confusion how in the world is this happening first of all we cast three men into the fire they answered to him and said to king true O king yes we did and he answered and said but I see four I see four men, not only four men, but I see them unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of God's. So he's sitting here. And at this point, I can see Nebuchadnezzar reevaluating his whole life. What in the world? Who is this? fourth man walking in the fire then Nebuchadnezzar said listen maybe I'm seeing things look at what the Bible says then he came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared Shadrach Meshach and Abednego servants of the most high God come out and come here then Shadrach Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps the prefects the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men now before we go too far we just need to make one thing clear that that fourth person is what we call a Christophany it was Jesus coming to earth before he came to earth it was him stepping in the fire with them and letting us know that listen here you go all I need you to do is trust me enough to get in the fire I'm going to join you in there but you see, you see, the covert plan that I'm running is they can't see me coming with you because they got to think it's a fight that they can win. And then when I jump in there, we're going to rope a dope them together. I'm going to get you out the fire. But I need you to believe that I'm with you. I need you to have the confidence to step up. I need you to have the conviction in the heart to walk in there feeling alone but knowing you're not all alone to jump in the fire let them push you in the fire and then I'm going to pop up 
and when I pop up, it's going to change. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is saying, this is the big thing. The fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. I'm sure I have testimonies in the room. When somebody picked on you and they thought the powerful were picking on the powerless. Give you an example of mine growing up in South Philly. I fought all my time going, I used to like fighting and I had a family, big family that used to live next door to me. And it was like 10 brothers and sisters. And I got in a fight with one of the brothers. He started running and I felt powerful. I felt like the powerful chasing the powerless. And he ducking and he booking and I'm just waiting. I'm salivating. I'm going to catch him. And he dips around this corner and all nine of his brothers and sisters were waiting there. And then the powerful became powerless. He hid the true plan from me. He said, listen, I'm going to make him think he's somebody. And then he's going to run right into the trap. God allows Nebuchadnezzar to think he's somebody. And then he realizes that he's not powerful. It says the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of the fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Bless the God of Shadmat, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Sometimes the way that we have to think about life, we have to think about our positions, we have to think about us being accepted to schools, we have to think about us getting jobs, we have to think about special privileges that we've received because we've done the right thing and God has placed us there, that sometimes God will give us things and put us in positions where people can take them away because that is the introduction to who he is. That he will send you somewhere and say, listen, you're going to go through this scrutiny. They're going to call you names. They're going to treat you wrong. But I'm sending you here, and I need you to endure under that right now. Because by the time I finish with what I'm doing with you here, this person is going to look at you. You ain't got to preach one sermon to them. You don't have to sing one gospel song to them. And they will know that I am all over your life, and I am worthy to be praised by how I humble them. All I need you to do is be able to take the punishment. Now watch this. Jesus jumps into the fire with them. Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. They are unharmed. And then people's minds need to be changed about what kind of rules actually need to lead their kingdom. Now I want this is sold such a real life illustration because Nebuchadnezzar is on his way to understanding God, but he's not there yet. So what he does is he says, listen. I ain't using that last principle, people falling down and worshiping no more. This ain't till they let me know that this is not the one that's going to work. So in verse 29, he makes a new decree. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb for limb. And their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And so some of us will see this and we just like, oh yeah, the tables then turned our way. You know, I sit down and a large part of the work that I've done over the years is DEI work with corporations and churches and all of that. 
and I'll let it be known that anytime you see cultural swings in society, you have those who were once oppressed get the power to be the oppressor. And I keep it real. I'm very transparent with people. I say, listen, um, I'm going to keep it real and honest with you. I don't want God to ever give me the opportunity to own no people for free labor. Because my heart is dark and it ain't the prettiest thing in the world. And capitalism will ruin some things in your heart if you let it do it. But there's something inside of me as the oppressed that always looks forward to the chance of being the oppressor. I want to fight back. I want to do what you've done to me. And what happens here is we have to be very careful. What Nebuchadnezzar does is he makes a new decree, but he makes a decree that if it is abused, it can turn these three Hebrew boys into the oppressors that Nebuchadnezzar once was of people. And you start ripping people's limbs apart and you start burning their houses just because they say something against your God. And you notice that God doesn't use this decree that Nebuchadnezzar has, but what God does use, he says, I want you to be wise. Let Nebuchadnezzar make that decree. I don't want you to be bothered with the decree, but this is what I do want you to take advantage of. You got the freedom to preach anything you want to preach now. You got the freedom to talk about me any way that you want to talk about me. Not only were you bought out of the fire, but you were promoted. So listen, I'm getting Nebuchadnezzar on board, but I've moved such a way in his life that I don't need him to be on board because he's raised you up to a position where you're going to run the kingdom anyway. He did it with Joseph. He did it with others that he puts us in prime positions that we are able to maneuver in a way that we can preach and we can teach and we can tell people about God. But in order to get to that place, we got to suffer through something first. You got to suffer through it and then God's going to promote you and he's going to raise you up to do his will. So my youth in the building, you're going to have to stand up to some of the things that are going on in the world. You're going to lose some friends. They're going to say the way that you think is antiquated. They're going to talk about your faith in your God, and they're going to say that's not how the world makes it anymore. They're going to, they're going to, to tell you that you're not inclusive and you're not tolerant. And you're going to have to sit there and take that. And you're going to have to know that the way that God is going to maneuver in your life, that he's going to put you in a position. And when he puts you in that position, it's not to lord it over people, but it is to preach the gospel and to use the gospel in a way that it will bring people back. Can I tell you how he did it with me? I gave you the example earlier of the organization that I was working with. And God gave me a new heart for individuals who are climbing the corporate ladder and losing their souls. Because the people that I were working with, they were five Christians that were a part of this situation. And I said to them one side, I said, listen, guys, I'm going to go off script on this. There are five believers around the table. And if we don't come up to the same understanding of what needs to happen, somebody ain't listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying it's me, it's whoever. We need to be on one accord. But as I was going through this, when I first got on this organization, when I first started working with them, God was working with me on some things about my heart. And then when I got through going through this situation, I said, man, you know what, God, all the dreams and aspirations I had, I don't want none of that no more. That, I don't want to do what you got to do to get up to that level. But what I do want to do is I want to rescue believers. 
who have sacrificed their soul decision by decision by decision to get up to the top of the corporate ladder and realize that it was worth nothing. I want to grab them when they're low and tell them that this thing that you believe in, it's an illusion. It's fake. And if you use the position for what God wants you to use it for, then something will come after it. But if you continuously chase after everything that you want, you're going to end up empty and deflated at the end. To close out, uh, Michael Jordan's trainer, Tim Grover, talks about this, that we have all have hard decisions. He said one day he was packing his suitcase, getting ready to go train Michael Jordan. And his daughter looked at him and said to him, Daddy, why do you have to work so much? Why do you leave so much? And he uh, explains to his daughter, well, the reason I work so much and leave so much is so we can have the lifestyle we have and we can have this and we can do that. And so I can feed you. And she says to him, well, Daddy, if I eat less, will you work less? And he says, at that point, every person has to make a decision on what's important to them. And I kept packing my suitcase. We as believers, when we get into these friction places with those who are unbelievers, we have to show them that we are able to make decisions that are countercultural, that don't make sense to them. Because I'm sure there was a point that Nebuchadnezzar was looking at them like, these boys are crazy. Do they not know what I will do to them? But then as they made a decision that was countercultural, that was other than, that was not popular, that was about God and not about their own selves, as they made a decision to not save their life, but to give their life up and to give their bodies up for the sake of keeping their right to worship God, then everything began to change. So when you go back to school tomorrow, teenager, college student, and you're faced with a subject or a concept when they're talking about sexuality or critical race theory, when all of these things come up, when you're on Instagram, when you're on Twitter, and all of these concepts come up, you have to make a decision. And this decision is going to get you put in fire. Being in the fire as a believer is not an if, it's a when. And it's not a one time. It's going to happen over and over again in your life. But B, just have this guarantee and know this, that God is using this fire to change the world through you. Think about how many people Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego saved from being thrown into the fire because they chose to step into the fire. Think of how many people they saved and people who were free to worship God and don't have to hide their faith. Think of how many people looked at them with boldness and courage and say, I want to be like that. But the last thing we want to remember before I pray for us is that you'll never be in the fire alone. Do you know at the end of the verse that Jesus stepped in the fire so they can step out of the fire? That when Nebuchadnezzar called them forth, first, he ain't know the fourth man's name, but he just said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come here. There are three of them that came out. There were four of them in there. That Jesus unbound them in the fire. That Jesus is the one that frees the captives. So sometimes we'll be sent in the fires because Jesus wants us there. But sometimes Nebuchadnezzar was in his own fire, in his own kind of fire because of his own decisions. That God will humble you and God will love you. And you'll see if you read on when you go back home, if you want to read Daniel 4, that uh, that Nebuchadnezzar begins to praise God in Daniel 4. And he says there's no God like him. There's no God like him amongst the earth that he is so great. Why? Because he brought me to the end of myself.
that he showed me that even though I believe I'm powerful, that I'm really powerless. That he showed me that there's someone out here greater than me that can undo the harshest punishment that I could give. And because of him, my life will be changed. And you look at Nebuchadnezzar's story and it begins to change from that point. Let me pray for us. God. It's easy to talk about being in the fire. But you may put one of us in the fire this week when we go back to doing what we need to do. Somebody may be in a fire right now and they're just trying to figure it out. They're trying to endure. They're trying to hold on. They're trying to make sure that they represent your name well. Will you jump? Will you be in there and show them that you're in the fire with them? Will you continuously encourage them? Will you give them the faith and the confidence to keep on going? But will you also remind us that nothing will change in this world through us as believers if we are not open to the idea of persecution? If we're not open to the idea of being mistreated? That we have to fight even ourselves, always wanting to be included and never wanting to be left out. Lord, that is a part of the discipleship that we have come under, that we will go and tell people what they need to hear, but what they don't want to hear. We will show them how they should live, but how they don't want to live. We will aggravate them from our love, from our care. We'll frustrate them with the questions that we ask and the answers that we give them. But that is all par for the course of being your disciple and letting them know who you are and how you sit on high and that Jesus, you are the only mediator between God and man. Give us the strength. Give us the courage. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. Amen. I want to give you one part of an invitation. Pastor Benson will come up and give you the other part. That there could be someone who is sitting in the midst of the audience. And as we spoke about being a Christian and understanding what it means to be a Christian and the hard things that we have to go through. That there's a part of them that is yearning and wondering what that's about, but they haven't taken the first step yet. That you've come here and honestly you may have come here this morning and you're like Lord I don't know why I'm going to church God I don't know why I'm in this somebody invited me and I just said yes and then you realize that you're at a moment which could be the moment that changes your life that you're ready to put everything else aside you're ready to slip your hand up you're ready to come down the aisle and say it's time for me to stop living like I'm Nebuchadnezzar living like I hold all power and I realize, God, that you are either doing something in my life or you've done something in my life that shows me that I am powerless, but I need you to continue on leading me and guiding me. So I want to welcome you in my life as Lord and Savior. I want to surrender to you right now. So I'm going to ask that you in the audience, you bow your heads and you close your eyes in the congregation. And I want you to pray with me as we give that individual a chance to step up. If you want saving faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior you know your life needs to change if you know that you've been living like you have all the power but you need help come forward down the aisle slip out tap your neighbor and come on down the doors of the church are open you can even ask your neighbor to walk down the aisle with you for the sake of community I need Jesus I want to be saved I want to give my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is there one is there one 
The scripture says that all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ was crucified, that he rose from the dead and that he is Lord. That he saved you from your sins, that through him you are washed clean, that you get to spend an eternity with God. Is there one? I won't belabor the point. I'll give us a few more seconds, another minute. And those of you who are praying, I want you to pray for people that you're thinking about, people that you've had conversations with that are inching closer and closer to the initiation that God is pulling and tugging them with, that they want to come, but there's something that's holding them back. You pray that those barriers are moved out of their way. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the invitation that went forth. God, this is the part where we are humbled as believers. That we plant and we water, but it's you that brings the growth. Holy Spirit, we want you to convict us that there's anybody in our lives that you are sending us after. That we rush there and give them the gospel. God, that we even learned a new way that you could have us evangelize to somebody. It could be putting everything on the line with your wisdom and your guidance and maybe standing up to our boss that mistreats the staff. Maybe standing up to somebody asking a hard question, giving some loving critique that'll get us put in the hot fire. And that may open up a door for us to begin to share on why we think the way we think and why we prioritize what we prioritize and why we live the way we live. God, our main mission is to worship you and spread your name throughout this world, to honor you, to lift you up. To continuously remind people that there is no God like you. There is no other that is as marvelous and majestic as holy as you are. So Lord, send us forth to be able to do that. Give us the conviction, the courage to do it. Give us the follow through. But most of all, give us the love of people in our hearts. To no longer want to see them live without you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen.